Hello and welcome to the Duchess of Science. This time we're answering questions from people with ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia or autism as part of Neurodiversity Celebration Week. This is an initiative set up by anti-bullying campaigner and author of the Spectrum Girls Survival Guide, How to Grow Up Awesome and Autistic, Sienna Castellon. From her own time at school, Sienna recognised that there's a real need to celebrate the different perspectives that neurodiverse people can bring to the world, rather than focus on the negative connotations that can come with a diagnosis. So far, it's been taken up by over 350 schools, but we wanted to add something for people who've left formal education and are trying to find their way in STEM. In order to do this, I took your questions to the lovely Sarah Rankin, Professor of Leukocyte and Stem Cell Biology at Imperial College London, and here's what she had to say. Dear Duchess, dyslexia support often ends once you leave formal education. What support or accommodations can colleagues or employers offer in academia? Signed, Dr. Dyslexic. Right. So, I'm assuming if you're a doctor, you've got your PhD, um, and so now you're a postdoc or early career scientist. Um, So, remember that um, all these learning differences, so dyslexia, um, dyspraxia, ADHD, and autism, are protected characteristics. So, they are all covered by the Equality Act, and as such, employers have to make reasonable adjustments for you in the workplace. So how that works out is that once you have started work, um, it's good to find out what you're going to be doing on a daily basis and little things like, you know, where your desk is, how noisy it is, etc, etc. And then you might um, identify things that are specific challenges to you. And at this point, you would go and talk either to your equality diversity um, unit in wherever you happen to be working or to HR. And essentially, if you have already a formal diagnosis, you can then tell them that you have such and such diagnosis and you could ask for them to make reasonable adjustments so they would then appoint somebody who has expertise in this area to come and talk to you about what um, your job involves and then they would um, discuss the types of um, accommodations that could be made for you so for example if you're dyslexic they could suggest specific software that could be made use, you know, could be useful to you. So that might be things like MindView software or speech to text, text to speech software. Um, and they could um, the whoever you're working for, the employer would have to pay for that or apply for a, a disability allowance. So they can apply for funding from the government to cover the cost of anything that you need, whether that's noise cancelling headphones, um, you know, and essentially that person should have the expertise to know, according to your sort of diagnosis, that things that you might find um, difficulty with. But obviously, you know, every job is different, every person is different, so they'll be unique to you. What's then really useful is that that person will also have a conversation with your line manager to explain to your line manager, because one of the basic problems that we have is that 
people have very um, restricted views of what these sort of neurodiversities is. So if you say dyslexia to somebody, they're just going to think, oh, this person, you know, is going to be reading slowly and and making spelling mistakes. Well, obviously, you know, there's spell check. And so this is, you know, you probably won't be making spelling mistakes. Um, but they could, um, you know, so so the, the person that is um, dealing with your sort of reasonable adjustments can explain what dyslexia is to your line manager and talk about not only uh, the the things that you might find challenging and that might be as simple as please don't give this person a verbally a great long list of things to do because they have a short working memory so please put it in an email if you've got a list of things you want them doing and um, but also talk to them about the sort of st- your strengths um, that you know this is a particularly creative person that can likely to see the big picture um, link disparate ideas and things like that um, so that that person you know that hopefully would also see the value of having you as part of their team. Dear Duchess as someone on the autistic spectrum I'm feeling nervous to attend my first conference and really not looking forward to the networking side of it. Will it be detrimental to my PhD if I decide not to attend conferences? Signed, an autistic PhD. Hi, I think um, it, it won't be necessarily detrimental, but I mean, we all need to, to attend conferences because a conference is when you hear um, the sort of what's cutting edge, things that are um, happening, um, the, the latest research, and they can be really inspirational. Most people, when they come back from a conference, they are full of new ideas and they might have seen somebody talk that actually they think, oh, that would be somebody I'd like to go and work for in the future. So I think um, you'd be really missing out if you don't attend conference. But I think what you need to do is attend them under your own terms. So you know, um, you know, lots of people don't enjoy um, um, networking. I don't enjoy networking particularly. Um, But when you attend these conferences for the first time, nobody um, will know who you are. So they're not going to bother whether or not you're at every event. I would suggest you choose, for example, choose which um, sessions that you want to attend. Don't go and attend sessions where you are really have no interest because um, you don't need to attend every single session. Um, if there's something else, if you're going to an interesting city, take the time to go and visit something in that city that you've always wanted to see because um, that's one of the the joys of getting to travel and attend these conferences Um, and then you know don't you don't have to go to all the networking events and you don't have to go for them for the whole time so if you walk into a networking event and you you know pick up a, a drink and you you know have a few nibbles or whatever um if you feeling awkward then you know just leave lots of people don't hang around for everything Um, lots of the senior people will have you know because they know people very well they'll have made arrangements to go off for dinner and won't even turn up to the networking events so I just think it's about um, doing you know thinking that you're going there really to sit 
in the scientific sessions and um and then you know think about you know some easy opening questions you can ask people like oh I didn't attend that session did you attend it you know what what was said or um I attended this session it was really interesting and you know or what are you working on or you know there are a lot of you know obvious things that you can you can ask people and I think remember a lot of those people particularly the young people will be in the same situation as you but I, I, I just think don't um, put yourself under pressure yeah do, do it under your own terms and if you need to have a, a morning where you don't want to attend then do that stay in your room say that you weren't well or whatever and just you know you can easily still um, spend the time usefully reading up on a load of papers or something so essentially we're saying don't miss out on something that can be beneficial but just uh look after yourself and know your limitations yeah 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 so finally, I would just love it if you could tell us a little bit about your own journey in academia and how you became uh, such a, a good supporter of uh, the neurodiversity movement. Okay, so um, I guess I didn't um, get formally diagnosed till I was in my 40s and I got diagnosed after my son was diagnosed with dyslexic and I, I sort of figured that I was pretty much um, very similar to him so it sort of things fell into place after that my experience in in school was being very frustrated and humiliated you know being called slow and stupid and then not being able to articulate my ideas and never sort of being able to get them down on paper and um, so I think I relied on sort of developing techniques and uh, strategies to be able to do those things and that didn't really materialize till I was around um, 14 when I actually sort of started to actually be good at anything and then I I found a way of learning to revise which is also all about drawing things rather than writing things and putting things in lots of colour and a lot of people that I've spoken to that are dyslexic, dyspraxic do that because they can remember things visually much better than they can by the written word and so um, that helped me with revision and then going through um, life I still have you know challenges I still hate filling out a form um, I'm really challenged um, because of my dyspraxia in terms of time management and organizational skills so traveling to new places even having to go and find you know buildings in a university where I'm giving a talk can be you know stressful um, and I always have to leave lots of times um, to be able to to do that so that's, um, and that can be sort of quite annoying. Um, it's interesting that recently somebody was asking me about ADHD and how you get a diagnosis for that. And I found the, um, the, 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 the link on the ADHD Foundation um, website. And when I looked at that, I showed a lot of the characteristics of ADHD, which I had never considered I was ADHD. So it's interesting that 60% of people that are, for example, have a learning difference, have more than one. And so, and I think this is why everybody is unique 
and everybody has their own individual strengths and weaknesses. And I think one of the things that I would really encourage people to do that don't have a diagnosis is to get a diagnosis because that diagnosis remains confidential. You don't have to declare it if you don't want to. Um, if you are in uh, getting it done through your employer, they will not tell your line manager the result. That's up to you. Um, so I think it's very useful because then you can really understand what your strengths are and your weaknesses are. Um, my sort of strategies are things like using an electronic calendar, really important, lots of to-do lists. Um, I even understanding where I work best. I mean, I know that um, if I'm going to write something, I really have to be in the right mood to write something and I have to be in the right place and, you know, the stars have to be aligned. And But when I actually um, get into that zone, I can be really efficient and actually I can write really well and people always sort of comment on the fact that when I'm writing it's very clear and it's um, yet yeah, very succinct which is you know <laughs> how I want to write I guess as a dyslexic um, and perfect for science yeah exactly so so it does have advantages and I think um, other things I've just had to practice like public speaking was always a nightmare but I've just got used to that I think because I've had to do it so many times um, and I think what has been really great for me about this whole sort of understanding neurodiversity and doing all the research and talking to lots of people that are scientists that have been um, sort of disclosed or understand their neurodiversity later in life is that they all display a lot of strengths um, because obviously they need to to be successful. It's a very competitive world. Um, and I think being innovative and cre creative is something you cannot underestimate in terms of science because, you know, ultimately once you get to be a real scientist, you know, you've got to come up with ideas. You've got to have and they've got to be different from what everybody else is thinking. And, and you know, I'm very good at that. And I love linking disparate ideas so I do a lot of interdisciplinary research and I work across disciplines um, even with my um, public engagement activities I do a lot of work with artists and I think you know that that's been um, really successful and a lot of fun and I really enjoy working collaboratively that's a sort of dyslexic strength and I think that is the way we um, like to work as scientists. I know um, lots of people say um, people that are autistic can't work collaboratively. I don't agree with that at all. I think if you sort of put them in a situation where they're with a lot of people they don't know and you ask them to do something collaboratively on the spot, then that is problematic. Um, and it's also problematic for introverts. Um, but I think if those, um, you know, autistic people are really um, team players and they um, do contribute enormously in group situations um, when they are familiar with the group. Um, so, um, and the other thing, yeah, obviously I've said... Um, I'm very good at conveying very sort of complex ideas in simplistic ways um, and and in graphical formats I think it's quite interesting I've always as I say I always draw things out for me to understand them and it's interesting now when we submit scientific papers that we are in the large part asked to write a graphical format 
And um, it's interesting when I talk to people, some people hate that and some people love it and some people look at the graphical format and other people don't. So, you know, we're all different. And I think this is the, the key. It's sort of valuing that diversity and seeing, you know, what it can bring to the, you know, bring to, to any group. So for our last question, um, you do a lot of work with students, um, student welfare, and there's a lot of intersectionality between uh, the neurodiverse population and mental health issues. Do you have any advice around that? Yeah, I think I think this comes down a lot to the way... Um, you know, we need, we all need to raise awareness about neurodiversity and we need to talk talk about it in, in positive ways um, and such that people can be a lot more open about their neurodiversity and uh, their sort of needs because what I find is it's students that are not disclosing or not asking for help so they are struggling and they might be struggling for different reasons. They might be struggling because um, they've had to write an extended essay for the first time and if they're dyslexic or dyspraxic, that can seem really hard or they're writing their thesis and they need to reach out for help because those are things um, that they will find challenging. They might have been fantastic in the lab and come up with lots of brilliant ideas, but actually getting it down um, is going to be challenging. So it's, I think, really important to acknowledge your, you know, your strengths, but also your weaknesses and ask for help. And um, I think one of the best things that I'm trying to do is um, set up networks so within the university and get other people within different um, institutes to set up neurodiversity networks because actually meeting other people that have the same um, challenges as you, they will all have different strategies and I think we can learn a lot from each other as to how we've sort of surmounted those challenges um, and I think you know really it's as I say it's, it's it's like when we were talking about going to a conference it's like if you're an autistic person and you're coming to live in London for the first time that's going to be stressful it's stressful for anybody but will be especially stressful for you as an autistic person so so make sure that you look after your your you know mental health you know if you need to go to the gym three times a week you know make sure you do that and you know this is where you want to be able to have that sort of conversation with HR or your uh, line manager to to say mm -hmm. and I think the more people do that you know you will find that um, people respect you doing that and if you have um, a line manager that doesn't um, respect that then maybe you've got to think about moving on <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah it's um it's a good way of um actually finding out if you're in the right working environment yeah. you know to actually disclose because i know that it's a, it's a problem for a lot of people um questioning whether to get a diagnosis or whether to disclose at work and um i think really what i would take away from our chat is that basically uh, forewarned is, is forearmed and to know your, your, the challenges that you might face is incredibly helpful because it allows you to communicate 
your needs and to actually mm. reach out and get that support rather than sitting and um you know uh waiting yeah and, until because people won't recognize it mm -hmm. and people won't realize that you might be struggling because you know they they might uh, you know everybody else has been fine before or mm -hmm. you know so yeah and it also to disclose in the workplace it offers a really wonderful opportunity for everybody else everybody that wants to be allies everybody that you know uh as you said could have people in their family or colleagues it's it's an opportunity to, for everybody to learn a little bit more about what all of these different terms mean yeah what they mean to different people and actually how society can be more inclusive and supportive it's you know it's very difficult if if um without awareness and without really understanding what those challenges are yeah so. and i think we've you know we've we've been on that journey with women in science mm -hmm. and lgbt you know q plus in science so um, you know, that's why it's it's important, you know, it, it's just another um, protected characteristic we need to think about. And I'm sure we'll be, you know, sitting here talking about ageing in, in science later because we're going to have an ageing population of scientists and, yeah, how, how do we uh, look after them? That's all for this week. But as ever, you can send us your questions to hrhscience at gmail.com. If you'd like more information on today's topic, you can visit neurodiversitycelebrationweek.com or follow Sarah or Sienna at RankinProf and at QL Mentoring, respectively. So until next time, take care.